Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense, common knowledge, or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do, but only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Before we begin, a note from our sponsor. I'm Richard Jacobs, Executive Director of the nonprofit Finding Genius Foundation and host of the Finding Genius Podcast. In late 2016, I was rear-ended at 65 miles an hour by a truck on the highway, which sent me off-road into a ditch. The impact of the collision gave me a concussion and other injuries. At the hospital, a CT scan showed that I had thyroid nodules, which turned out to be cancer. It was then, when I had a biopsy in my neck, that I realized, even if I was a millionaire, I wouldn't want a second or a third biopsy due to the pain and the invasiveness of it. And appointments at that time for thyroid experts were three to six months out. And I was worried about dying now, even if that was irrational. So because of this, I've decided to raise money to conduct a literature review on steroids, on the causes of anxiety and depression, a condition that affects well over 50 million people in the United States and hundreds of millions worldwide. Our goal is to create a codex, a guide that reveals all possible treatments for anxiety and depression for people that live with the condition or for loved ones that have it, as my wife and my son do. To find out more about our fundraiser, visit FindingGeniusFoundation.org and click on Current Initiatives. And now, to our guest. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast, now part of the Finding Genius Foundation. A quick note about the foundation. We started on our massive study of all possible treatments for anxiety and depression. Our goal is to make an AI-powered guide uh, that uses you know, thousands of sources on treatments for anxiety and depression to offer a low-cost or no-cost resource to people suffering. So to find out more, go to FindingGeniusFoundation.org. And today my guest is uh, Jen Lim. She's the CEO of Delivering Happiness, which is a company that she and Tony Shea, who is the lead CEO of Zappos.com, started. So uh, we want to talk about that. So Jen, thanks for coming. Yeah, of course. Thank you so much for having me. Honored to be here. Well, tell me a bit about your background. How did you come to know Tony Shea and how did this idea evolve and start? Yeah, so I guess if we can rewind all the way back to the early, the first dot com back in the 90s. At that time, I was, you know, internet strategist, you know, the economy was booming, money title status was easy, and then it was gone because the dot com busted and I got laid off. 9 11 happened and I learned all in the same year that my dad had stage three colon cancer. So all of a sudden, I was brought to a place where I had some deep, you know, reflection of like, what am I doing this for? And at that time then I didn't, you know, want to go back to that world I came from, but I didn't know where I wanted to go. So I had a mutual friend that introduced me to Tony and I started just consulting on my own. And as he was just starting as CEO of Zappos and he just kept on giving me projects along the way as a consultant. I, uh, and I think our kind of relationship, um, you know, grew from there, whether it's the relationship that I have with Zappos, because as they got bigger, you know, I got bigger with them and and seeing and helping them become eventually like known for their culture, et cetera, doing their culture books. And then the project of Delivering Happiness, the book came about. And Tony asked if I wanted to be part of that. 
And I said, sure, why not? You know, like it seemed like a cool thing to do. And here we are, you know, 11 years later, not even predicting the fact that we're going to create a company out of it and help other companies, organizations, essentially workplaces, figure out how to create sustainably happy cultures, um, meaningfully happy with people so that they can see the ROI and profitability and productivity. How did you see the potential of what delivering happiness is about? Did you see that at Zappos? Did did you and Tony, or did Tony, I don't know who created the culture there, but I've heard it's legendarily happy and wonderful. Yeah, I initially... You know, I think I got fired up a little bit because everyone was saying at that time, oh, yeah, that's kind of a novel idea, happiness and in, in, in the workplace that just can happen there, but it can never happen here. Uh, they were talking about, obviously, their own situation. So I think that's what fired me up because I felt, no, there's something bigger here. Um, there's this universality of what just happiness, not just what happiness is, but there's a science to it. And so I guess I took it upon myself to take on that challenge. Like I can prove and show that it's not just a Zappos thing. It can happen around the world. And yeah, lo and behold, it, you know, half of our clients are international. Have just a big part of why I wrote the book was to share all the stories and, and stats as to why this and how this can all work. But what, what were the elements of the, the happiness culture that jumped out at you that made you think, wow, I, I want to recreate this over and over and over in other companies? Yeah, there was, I mean, based on the science, so, so basically we've just like taken these, you know, the body of academic research and trying to apply it into, you know, a company organizational setting. And so there are certain levers that, you know, point back to the data and, and the data goes to senses of, as I call levers of control or autonomy, sense of like freedom in being able to make your decisions and trust. Uh, another lever is a sense of progress to make sure that we're constantly growing and, and developing and learning. And then a third one is connectedness. And, you know, it's not just like, you know, happy hour connectedness, it's actually more deeper meaning connectedness. And then a sense of purpose and having something that we're doing as individuals uh, and as companies that's bigger than making more money, bigger than, you know, just living in our own lives beyond ourselves. Um, but the biggest theme that came out of this in, in all these years is the most important thing is being true to ourselves. And that was something that actually, like, even during the book tour in 2010, Tony and I talked about this, like, we didn't actually you know, address that in the book. And here we are, you know, 11 years later, now more than ever, it's so important to really get real with that authenticity of ourselves and showing up with that, whether it's in work or in life. That's when we become leaders of who we are as human beings. So well, what does that mean? Being authentic and showing authentic? What's no, an example of not doing that? What's an example of doing that? Like for so many years, there's been a separation. Like if it's work-life balance is one thing, but I, to me, like that just doesn't make sense, you know, because it's so integrated. And I think with, with COVID and living in Zoom land for all these m months, most of the world has been, uh, or a lot of the world, they had to recognize and realize that we cannot, we're not able to leave our life hat at home and put our work hat before we show up at work. Like it was all at the same time. And we got to know each other in pretty intimate ways because it was so integrated. So that's the whole thing of being able to show up as yourself. And having those conversations that we normally don't have conversations about in the workplace, 
because, you know, either we're dealing with the kids or, you know, our pet's sick or someone just passed away. You know, these things are being brought into the workplace and we need to be real with that for, for our own stability and emotional mental capacity. So what are some of the uh, specific procedures that come first or come later or are most important in this, in this, you know, this happiness culture? Like what are the critical elements needed in order to set it up? Yeah. So the most foundational things is that we need to basically, and we, we do this, you know, through exercises and workshops and, and doing all this stuff for organizations, but even within our individual self is to establish, even if it's a draft, our own purpose and our own values. And that becomes the grounding that we need, like, to adapt because everything is so unpredictable and uncontrollable in so many ways around us. But by even even being able to put, create a, a draft statement of what our real purpose is and what our values are, it's not supposed to be a daunting task. It is something that it gives us a sense of when we wake up in the morning, we know that we're living by them. And by the time we go to back, you know, go to sleep, we can look back at the day and say, that was a good day because maybe a lot of shit, you know, crap happened at the office or, you know, I had a, a bad argument with, um, with my colleagues, but knowing that we're living by those purpose, that purpose of ourselves and the values of how we want to live it are fundamental. Before we continue, I've been personally funding the Finding Genius podcast for four and a half years now, which has led to 2,700 plus interviews of clinicians, researchers, scientists, CEOs, and other amazing people who are working to advance science and improve our lives and our world. Even though this podcast gets 100,000 plus downloads a month, we need your help to reach hundreds of thousands more worldwide. Please visit findinggeniuspodcast.com and click on support us. We have three levels of membership from 10 to $49 a month, including perks such as the ability to see ahead in our interview calendar and ask questions of upcoming guests, transcripts of podcasts you're interested in, the ability to request specific topics or guests, and more. Visit FindingGeniusPodcast.com and click support us today. Now back to the show. What are some of the values that proved to be useful? You know, what are some specifics? And I can also talk about like purpose statements too, because I, I, d- I definitely want to make this tangible. But from a values perspective, if you do this exercise and reflect on not just the highs in your life, but also your lows. And I call this the happiness heartbeats exercise because so many of us think that happiness comes from our highs, but really it actually comes from understanding our low points too. So just, you know, as a a mental exercise, like what are the three high moments in your life? What are the three lowest lows? So for me, I can rattle off things like, well, you know, I climbed Mount Kilimanjaro. I was able to create a company and co-found a company. My lows was losing my dad uh, 18 years ago. Another low, obviously, was losing Tony uh, last year. So what is interesting when people do this exercise and they look at the themes of asking the questions of, you know, in each of these moments, what values were there or not there? So for me, the values of people, the values of a sense of freedom and autonomy and being who I wanted to be to show up as myself. So that happened in all those high moments and those low moments. So those values for me still hold true of like what I just said, relationships, autonomy, and a sense of freedom. So I think if people go through that sort of thought exercise, they can get a really decent understanding of what it is that means the most and and the values that come, come through. How did this idea start? Did it start with Tony or at the very least, like how did he 
express it to you on what he wanted? And then has it changed at all with how you express it? I think that you know, as, I, as I was consulting at Zappos, it definitely was part of that journey of like, you know, we were working together in the culture and in culture workplace slash workplace and operations of Zappos. But after launching Delivering Happiness, first the book and then the company, then he's a pretty hands-off type of leader. Like essentially it's like, you know, follow your passion, follow what you want to do. And he basically gave me, you know, full, full reins of what to do and how to run Delivering Happiness. So I think at that point, there was a divergence of what we learned and did at Zappos to what it's been going on since the last 11 years of developing, you know, not just what Zappos did, but what everyone as organizations and teams and people can apply to their everyday life using scientific happiness. So, so yeah, I think it's kind of gone beyond, you know, the realms of what Zappos was to now organizations, governments, hospitals, and et cetera, around the world. So your company delivering happiness, is it a consultant to companies that want to incorporate this culture or like, how do you work? Yeah, that's basically it. I mean, we call ourselves ourselves coach sultans because we're not traditional consultants because we don't, you know, tell people what to do. You can't prescribe it. We can't we don't want to leave like, you know, a 300 page PowerPoint deck and say this is what you need to do. I think a big part of the work and what we need as a whole in society and organizations is that this part is partially coaching as well. And that coaching side is that this is going to sound cliche, but all the answers are within ourselves. All the answers are within teams. All the answers are within the CEO or leadership team. So the coaching comes to be a big part of that because we're there to ask the questions and hold up a mirror into themselves as individuals and, you know, where the company is, what their company goals targets, et cetera. And that's where the differences lies in, in what we do as delivering happiness. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. When you come to companies that are asking for this help, like what, what kind of mistakes do you see them making in their current culture that causes them to reach out to you? I think it's uh, it's usually those that actually have a sense that they need culture for beyond the reason of checking it off the box, you know, of like a... I'm the CEO, so I need to hit culture because it's a thing to do and everyone's talking about it. So by the time, by the time they, they want to work with us, they have that sense there's something more. And I think the common mistake or gap is that they think that it's some, it's not a long-term journey, that it's something that, you know, if you address A, B, and C, during a quarter or over the course, course of the year that it'll be done. And once they see what the effects are of actually creating that workplace where people feel authentic and truly themselves, then they see engagement go up, then they see productivity, then they see retention, you know, retention is a huge issue that we have going on at this time. And then it becomes that light bulb and that's the gap that your question leads to is just that it's never going to stop, you know, like it's constant sense of celebrating those wins, addressing those challenges and tensions that we all have as, as companies and especially now head on in a way that's just 
needs to be embedded in a systemic way, not this, you know, one hit wonder of, oh, we just launched our new values and this is what we're going to do. No, it's something more than that. It's actually instilling that in our behaviors, you know, instilling that in our rewards and recognition systems are incentivized and like how we incentivize people. And you, you know, come to the point of like hiring and firing based on that. So I think that's the gap that's slowly closing of needing it to be systemic versus, you know, a pure play on inspiration. So what changes have you observed in companies that you've got, you guys have coached, coached, with what's happens before and after, like what big changes do you see? Yeah, the biggest things, and, and this totally got spotlighted during COVID, is like we've got companies that realized even in the worst of times, profits were like took a nosedive or, or revenue did. Those companies that actually said, you know what, we do need to live by our culture and our purpose and our values, that essentially doubled down on the people were the those companies that actually adapted quicker because they had the buy-in of, you know, the assets of their people how to go about to adapt and triage with all of this happening around us. So I'll, I'll share the story of Starbucks. Like they were a client of ours for like years. I want to say three at the time of COVID. And we we're just about to launch this project of figuring out the next 50 years of their existence because they just were celebrating their 50 year anniversary. Things were so exciting because here was like a relatively new CEO. Howard had left the co- company and they wanted to say, how can we endure for the next 50 years? And of course, COVID hit. And so they had a you know, huge retailer, ubiquitous brand, shut all their doors, revenue was hemorrhaging, stock prices was plummeting, and they had a triage. But what was pretty amazing to see and be a part of is that the leadership team reflected on themselves and they said, what are we here for? What are we doing? And they, they brought back their mission statement in a new, more current way. And their mission statement was to inspire and nurture the human spirit, one cup, one person, one uh, neighborhood at a time. And what I saw in those moments, because there are definitely leadership teams or CEOs that would have gone the other way and just focused on like, look, we have shareholders that we need to, you know, live up to, but they did the other, uh, the other end of it. They actually said, you know, we're living up to this statement, our, our purpose. And they aligned and you can imagine with such a huge company, there's a lot of differing opinions and they decided, you know, we're not going to be so profit driven anymore. We're going to use our profit towards a bigger meaning to revisit and and re-highlight our, you know, the existence of the reason why we exist. And so from that, there was a huge project on figuring out what does it mean not to just be profit positive, but also people positive for their partners, which is what they call for their employees and to be planet positive. And this includes, you know, relationships with their farmers, relationships with their vendors. And it was this huge, I mean, I can't disclose the amount of money they invested in this, but during that triage moment, they did this huge turnaround of saying, you know what, we're going to also hunker down and revitalize our purpose in this new way because the future of work is here and we need to do something about it now. Have you observed, uh, again, a change in Starbucks over the time you guys have worked with them? And what what would you say from a customer's point of view the change would be? I think the biggest change is this new realignment and double down on being even more precise and clear and communicative to all their partners you know, employees and therefore customers of really drawing a line in the sand of saying this internally at their headquarters in Seattle of not just saying, hey, this is what we're going to do here and let's see how it trickles down, but making that big of a move 
and being more articulate about it, I think their partners or employees really felt it. And I think that's where the customer interaction is is changing with engagement. And yeah, and now they're as healthy as a company is can be at this time. Well, very good. Jen, I got an advanced copy of your book just recently, but is your book formally out? And what's the what's the schedule for it, if so? And where can people find it? Yeah, it's actually out tomorrow. Kind of crazy. October 12th. So mm. it's eve of publication or, or initial official, excuse me, launch. You can find it on jenlim.com. So it's J-E-N-N-L-I-M.com. And uh, the company is deliveringhappiness.com. But I also did want to extend an invite to to everyone in your audience because, you know, can't do book tours anymore as we used to. So we decided to do something different. So we're hosting Summit on the 29th of October that we're calling Beyond Happy Palooza. And it was just a, an idea that came up in having and hosting honest conversations with people that I, you know, friends and people that I strongly respect in, in this space and outside of it, like Peter Diamandis, uh, Adam Grant, Sean Aker, Angela Duckworth, just people that have, I think, been able to weather the times, adapt in the ways they can, and share their own stories of of real talk of where we are in our workplaces and also in general life. So people can find that at beyondhappypalooza.com as well. Well, very good. Well, Jen, thank you for coming. And, uh, you know, it's a very interesting story. And uh, I mean, you're doing something that I think almost no one else is doing. So I appreciate you being here. I appreciate that too, Richard. Thank you so much. Take good care. Thanks for having me on. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.